Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Giles Brandreth and this is Rosebud. And thank you for joining me. What was your very first memory? Your very first memory. this episode of Rosebud, I'm talking to a friend of mine who is a ballroom dancer and author, but he's best known now as one of the Strictly Come Dancing judges. It's Anton Dubeck. Anton's been dancing since he was a teenager, and he and his partner, Erin Bogue, turned professional in 2002. But really it is for his central role in the BBC Strictly Come Dancing that Anton has become famous, a household name. And my wife, Michelle, and I have been watching the current series and we're loving it. Anton actually is also a novelist. He's written six best-selling historical novels that have, well, they have style and romance. And I I love him. I love his positivity. I love his instinctive courtesy. I love his kindness. We recorded this at my house in southwest London and we talked about Anton's childhood and his difficult father, his school days, and the competitive drive which made him such a successful dancer. And I hope in this conversation you'll get a clue as to why I think he's also such a successful and delightful human being. What is your very earliest memory? What's the thing in your life you can remember first? Uh, going right back. Do you know, I'll I tell you what it is. Um, I have a Hungarian father, Spanish mother, who came over. My father came over during the uprising in uh, Hungary. Is that 1956? So around that sort of end of the 50s. My mother is from a rural part of Spain. So during Franco's reign in Spain, it's all very you know, not great. So basically both left for a better life, came to the UK and met during the sort of early to mid-60s, and then I was born in 66 in Seven Oaks in Kent. So they, I mean, you could call them immigrants, I suppose, in that regard, and they both had two jobs. So I remember my parents working all the time. That's what I remember. Now, I come from a time where we had three, born at a time where there were three television channels, and you walked to school. 
invariably, doesn't matter how far you, your school was, you invariably walked to school. So I remember walking to school and I remember finishing school and walking to the, my mum used to work in a bus canteen at the bus station and all the drivers would go into the canteen and have their lunch or whatever it was. And my mum used to work in the canteen during the day and in the evening she'd be doing something else. And we would, I would finish school and I'd walk across over the road and then I'd meet mum in the bus canteen. And I'd either have tea there or wait for her to finish and go home for tea. So I remember that vividly. But I, I just remember us always, you know, having to walk or, or get the bus. That was how it was. We had a car at home. My father drove. My mama didn't drive. But it seemed to be always breaking down. Uh, what car was it? What it make? Well, we had a number of, one of the early ones, a Vauxhall Viva. And of course, my father was a raging alcoholic, so often he couldn't drive. So we buses were a big part. And everything revolved around 7X. We didn't really leave 7X very much in those days. Until it was the summer holidays at school. And then we'd go to Spain one year and then Hungary the next. But we'd drive. Wow. So it would take two days to get there. And we'd drive across Europe. And I remember that, those times vividly. And my sister's... I think four years or so younger than me. So we were both very young. It wasn't till much, much later. I can't remember how old we were. We were much older until we suddenly got a plane. Your mother is working in the bus station in the canteen. Yeah. What is your dad doing when he's not drinking? Originally, he was a waiter. In a, in a hotel, in a in, restaurant? Well, various places and uh, all sort of silver service stuff, you know, proper. Apparently, he, he wanted to stop doing it because it made him drink too much. And working in that industry. Uh, so he went and started during the day working in a factory, but in the evening was, was still waiting. But um, yeah, it didn't make difference to the drinking. <laughs> so they worked all the time. What is your happiest memory of your mother when you were a little boy? She was, my mum was amazing. She just made everything better. There was sort of no relationship with my father. So my mum was everything, but she worked all the time. So anytime she wasn't working, you were, you were together. And she was great fun. Did she have a Spanish accent? Yes, still. Yes, can still. You do, can you do her accent? My brother does her brilliantly. I don't do her very well. I, I end up making her sound a little bit Russian. And um, why you sound so Russian? So, um, but my brother does her brilliantly. So, so there funny. were two boys. So my brother's much younger. He's about 14 years younger than me. But the so same he, father. Same father, yeah, we're yeah. the same parents. So the parents you, stuck together despite this. Yes, I mean, incredibly. Nowadays, it, it wouldn't have, yeah, I mean, in those days, you, you sort of But did, she was probably you? brought up a Catholic, so it was yeah, important, we, the idea right. yeah. that, that they would. You just sort of did, though, as well, in those days. You didn't. Before so. we get on to the worst memory mm. of your father, what's your happy Do you have a happy memory of your father at all? Well, I don't know, really. Uh, it's. Uh, I mean, this sounds so, supposed to be uplifting, this, isn't it? Well, it will um, be. It will uh, be. It's just part of the journey. Also, but not really, actually. I can't think of anything massively uh, sort of fun and uplifting. He wasn't sort of a fun guy. I mean, you know, he was... He, 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 uh, I mean, do you know, if you, if you ignore all that side of things and the drinking and the, the brutality, stuff like that, and you think about his story uh, in a sort of detached way it w it would make an excellent film yes because it was in those days you'd you'd have to escape from from hungary you couldn't just leave because it was a communist country of course as a boy i remember 
him telling stories of escaping in sort of waste high snow and in the wind just trying to get away and then made it into sort of Austria and up to Switzerland and there and, and but you know with no money or anything and just trying to go just get jump on a train and all this sort of literally escaping so when you think about his story mm. you actually become more sympathetic when you uh, can remove regard, yourself yeah. from it yeah exactly. you realize what had caused this well I don't know about that but oh. it's a it because I'm not sure uh, I'm never quite sure about the sort of this is why I became this person. Yeah. Well, you, you have control over yourself. You can yeah. make your own decisions. But that part of your story is fascinating and deserves plenty of respect because that is an incredible story of the, your de- term, determination to want a better life that much that you're going to go through this in order to get it. What is the positive that you've... How have you changed your life, having been as a boy with this father with the drink mm. problem, which resulted in violence from him? Yeah, certainly against you mm. and against your mother. No, at all? Uh, principally me, I think. And wh- yeah. why? Why do you think? Well, why was it you? Because it was just you. You were the boy. You yeah, were there. I was there, oldest boy, I guess. Oh. Yeah. At the time, did you resent it, and has it affected the rest of your life? No, I don't think so. I'm very keen to plough one's own furrow. I think it's very important that you. I'm not much for looking back, really. I'm I'm more of a forward looker, forward thinker, and I, you know, because I don't want anything in the past to spoil what is potentially magical in the future. I'm 57 now, and how did that happen? Mm-hmm. It's only 10 minutes ago. I was living in a council house in Seven Oaks, and I was going to school. And do you know, in five minutes, it feels like it's gone. It's gone. So don't don't. I, I I'm keen for me, and other people must deal with their own the best way they want to but for me I'm keen to move forward and do what I want to do and and that does I don't allow that stuff to affect it who was your first friend outside your family ah well uh, some boys at at, when I was at school what was your first school well my first school was a school in seven it's called Lady Boswell's oh and it was lovely little sort of what we used to call it a primary school in those days we used to in my day we had primary schools and secondary schools and then you went to work. Now, some people went into sixth form and university. Lovely. Can you imagine it? My wife, for example. I didn't. I went from primary school uh, into secondary school and then went off and got a job. At primary school, who was your my, first friend? My, uh, do you know, now, I can't remember anybody. I have no f- friends now that I had at school. Mm. None of my, I I have no contact with any people I went to school with. In actual fact, my literary agent, a man called Kerr McRae, a lovely man, we went to school together, Ooh. hilariously. We were in exactly the same year at the secondary school. So we are the same age, we went to the same school, and he had to tell me and remind me of this. But yeah. you had no recollection of him? I had no recollection of him. Were you then, as a little boy, a bit of a loner? No, not at all. I had lots of friends. I remember a young lad called David, a lovely guy, and we went to our first football match together. Now, he said he was an avid football fan, and I love football. As a grown-up, we all wanted to be footballers when I was a boy. We all wanted to score the FA Cup final goal. Mm. Do you remember? And, and he was such a nice lad. And... He said, oh, oh, let's go and see. He's a, he was a massive Manchester United fan. So we were going to see 
Manchester United playing Tottenham and we're going to go and see them at Tottenham. And he said, shall we, let's go. And I went, oh, okay, I'm terribly nervous. So we, we got onto a train from Sevenoaks, went to London. We'd never done this before. It's terribly exciting. How old are you, roughly? Oh, we were schoolboys, secondary yeah. school, for the third, 14, yeah. something like that. And also, you wouldn't do that now. Mm. But it's absolutely fine. He had some money. I had no money. He had some money. Oh, I'll get the tickets. Okay, fine. And we got off uh, at Charing Cross and we got, we got an underground. And so we, we went to where we thought the ground might be. Tottenham Court Road. Oh. And we got out at Tottenham Court Road. This oh, is And we got out and we went, well, what do we do? Where's the ground? And we looked around, couldn't see the ground, so we went to ask a policeman. Oh. oh. <laughs> Can you imagine? And we went to ask this policeman. Excuse me. Hello, lads. What can we do for you? We want to get to the football ground. Really? Yes. Which one? We Tottenham. And, and I remember, like it was yesterday, that the two fellas looked at each other and sort of grinned and went, well, he said, lads, you've, you've sort of come to the wrong place. You're going to have to get back on the tube and get off at Seven Sisters. I remember it so clearly and it was such a lovely moment. Was football the love of your life when you were a When I was teenager? a boy, really, as a young boy, until I found, this sounds so sort of cliche, but until I found dancing. But we lived for football, we lived for sport in those days. We all played sport and it was at a time where everything had a season. Do you remember back in the day that mm. Colin Cowdery played for Arsenal in the winter and played for yeah. Middlesex in the summer? Yeah. Cricket. And then play for England, Captain England. But you can't do that anymore because everything is 12 months a year and I think it's worse for it personally. Mm. Uh, I think you should have a season. It gives you something to look forward to, anticipation. So in those days, we, we played all sports during the season. So we played cricket in the summer. We played football, a bit of rugger. I'm not really built for the rugger. Uh, tennis. We played everything. Rode our bikes. But we were always. But the big thing is we were always outdoors. And I remember that growing up. We were always outdoors. There was a, there was a joy to that. When did you have your first dance then? When the first time you discovered it? Well, I was about 13 or 14, something around that sort of and age. And how did you come well, to be like, having a dance at all? Again, it was the summer holidays at school and my sister went to this dance school and I remember going along to meet her, to walk home with her. And I walked into this church hall and it was just a room full of girls. And I went, oh, no. And then I sort of started. But what I loved about it, it was, it, firstly, ballroom dancing was competitive. And bear in mind, this is a time where people didn't dance ballroom dancing anymore. Everyone sort of did, it was sort of coming out the end of disco and stuff like that. Everyone danced solo. I, but I loved the idea of dancing with a partner. I, I loved that whole Fred Astaire. Mm-hmm. Fred Astaire was my great hero. Was this, uh, you're only about 13 now. Yeah. He was already your hero. You'd yeah. seen the films on television, was that exactly. it? Exactly. And, and did and your mother love them? Is that, did you watch them with no, her? Particularly, no, No, just, I just, I liked you just, them. You yeah. just discover them. Just discover, literally that, you just discover them. I remember Easter Parade being played at mm. Easter. And Singing in the Rain was one of my earliest memories. I th- and I remember it being just amazing. But you're more Fred Astaire than Gene Kelly as a yeah, person. Yeah, well, really both of them. But, I, uh, but uh, f- probably Fred. Yeah. I love the style because I, I like the clothes better yeah. on Fred. Yeah. I like the clothes meant everything. So you to went me. into this church hall, there were all these girls, aged 13, 14. Yeah, and, and, and there you I thought, was. this is for me. I mean, this is for me, yeah. Is it, uh, is I mean, you were desiring the girls as much as the dancing or, or, well, or the know, combination? Well, you know, when you're 13, I mean, if you remember when you were 13 or 14, it, 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 stuff's going on yeah. internally. Very confusing time and very intimidating as well. Girls are massively intimidating. 
when you're, I shouldn't say when you're that age, they're massively intimidating anyway. (laughs) But I was able to take hold with a partner and move around the floor in a way that was proper and correct. So I'd have to move forward my right foot, step to the side of my left foot and close my feet. I love that sort of the form, the correctness of it all, the fact that eventually we could do competitions and, and beat people and, and potentially win, because competition was everything. You know, we all played sport and competition was sort of everything. And who was the first girl you remember dancing with? Oh, I, um, my very first partner, really, was a young girl called Julie Allison. Hopefully she's listened to this. And she was just lovely. Did she become a girlfriend? No. No. What was your first kiss? Who was your first? Oh, this was a terrible moment this was. I remember this as a young lady. And the only kissing that we'd, I'd ever drawn to him was on the telly. And she'd been watching, obviously, a different sort of telly to me. <laughs> because I'd... I, I, we were going for a kiss. And I went in for my first kiss like that. And I was going for a, sort of a... Like a pursed lip affair. Sort of, you know, I thought, oh, I'll give it a bit of that. <laughs> and then I might even move my head a bit, as I did on the telly. If I move my head a bit, it might be a bit more passionate. But she was going for what, what could only be described as the full Frenchie. Oh, my gosh. I know. I how, old, she, how old was she? I, I, I how old only to, to, of the 13, similar, 14. Yeah, that sort of age. Oh, my gosh. Going for the full Frenchie. I don't know what she, where she learned that technique. <laughs> but I thought she was going to suck my face off. I was, I was, I was a little traumatised. I have to tell you, it was a while since I'd had another go. Until I dipped in once again. Yeah. But you've not forgotten it. Oh, no, I did, it was, I tell you what, I definitely haven't forgotten it. Oh. I did, later in life, I did try to learn her technique. With, with satisfactory results? I, I have to tell you, it's not unpleasant. Who was your first proper girlfriend? Gosh. Who was my first proper girlfriend? Do you remember your first proper girlfriend? Oh, yes. Oh, right. Gosh. Um... I did. Uh, I did have a girl that uh, I, I remember that we we seemed to be boyfriend and girlfriend for a considerable amount of time. Her name was Heather, but we're very young, so you know it's just. I can't think of her like a proper proper girlfriend who was my first. This is terrible. I can't remember. Well, I mean, she was. If she's listening, I apologise profusely. <laughs> you are very memorable in other ways. Did I say that? They've forgotten. I know this because when I I wrote a childhood memoir during lockdown called Odd Boy Out, and I was going to write some stories about these early girlfriends, and so I got in touch with a couple of them because I'd kept all their letters. I can show you in the <laughs> wow, basement. I love boxes, this. boxes full of. But we didn't have correspondence. Um, well, lots of correspondence, and I got in touch with them, and I said, you know. Um, I was thinking maybe of quoting some of the letters and have you kept any of my letters because I've kept all of yours. Not one of them. In fact, one of the things came back to me, return to sender. And I know she still lives in that address just as I'm not interested in him. None of them had kept my, my I felt really beautiful, touching letters. So how did you communicate? How did you, how did you develop a relationship? Well, by conversation only. We never wrote letters. Didn't write letters in those days. And we, you rarely called because you'd have to speak to them on the phone, which is fine, but there was no guarantee they'd pick the phone up. Uh, so it would probably be a parent. Yes. Mm. And also in those days, people had party lines. Do you know the party line? No. Or maybe it's before your time, where because not everyone had a telephone, often you shared the telephone with the house next door. Ah, oh, no. So you could pick up the phone and you're listening to the phone conversation taking place next door. 
Oh wow! So you were nervous that people might be listening. You could do that in the house, I remember, but you couldn't do. I didn't. I've never heard of yes. that. Yes. Oh, my parents were keen on the listening on the extension. My father would yes. pick up the phone and say, "That's enough of that." <laughs> <laughs> my father would, ring, would pick up the phone. And go, is that the off license? Oh. No, for goodness' sake. Hello, it's Giles here. And I'm very happy to tell you that this series of Rosebud is sponsored by one of my favourite hotels in the world, the J.W. Marriott Grosvenor House Hotel on London's Park Lane. One thing for which the Grosvenor House Hotel is justifiably famous is its great room. This has hosted royal banquets, boxing matches, BAFTA award dinners, and was even the location for a Dua Lipa video featuring live horses. But during the Second World War, the great room was transformed. It was requisitioned by the war office as a mess hall for U.S. Army officers. New American kitchens were installed, and 450 staff served up to 14,000 meals a day. The room is so big that there were over 1,000 officers at each sitting. In total, 5.5 million meals were served between 1943 and 1945. The Great Room is a piece of history, and well worth a visit when you come to the Grosvenor House Hotel, which I hope you will, because every single person who walks through the door at this hotel is treated as if they were royalty, or even as if they were an American president. And American presidents have stayed here. We're delighted that the J.W. Marriott Grosvenor House Hotel are supporting this series of Rosebud. Do make sure you book with them next time you want a five-star experience in London town. I remember this girl called Vanessa. This is a bit later. She was a proper girlfriend, like a proper girlfriend. And I remember her, we would call it dumping. She, she broke up with me after a period of time. And it's it, you've, the, the humiliation of being, especially if you quite like them, and I quite liked her. And then you find out she started dating one of your mates. Oh, you, you, it's it's sort of recipe to leave town. You almost feel like, in actual fact, I'm going to think I'm going to move to the north of England, please, because it's just awful. And then I started dancing seriously, and then didn't really get involved with girlfriends in the traditional sense. So dance became your obsession. Yeah. So from the age of thirteen, you're beginning dancing. When does it sort of take over your life? So I do it for a little bit, and I, I'm doing sort of medal tests and things like that, and getting better and better. And then I, I leave school when I'm... Um, now, I'm going to say this, and, I, and, I, and anybody who's listening, don't look at this as an example, because this is a terrible example, and I, I shall never tell my children this. I left school when I was 15, and I didn't, I didn't do any of the exams. So I just sort of wandered off. When they started the exam period, I, I just went, oh, okay, well, fair enough, it's not, this isn't for me, I'll go and get a job. And... And what was the job? Oh, gosh... I had a couple of jobs. I think I might have worked in some sort of factory of some affair. And then later, when I was about 17, I got a job in a bakery. And then, then it was, everything was a bit different then. I became a skilled baker after about five years. But really, at that point, I'd already gone, I want to be a professional dancer. I want to be a dancer. And so I'm now, I'm now dancing all the, all the, every day, yeah. really. I'm, I'm sort of only working to fund the dancing, yeah. really. So as soon as I got, uh, started competing and, and then sort of doing a little better... And then realised I'd come to it late because everybody I was dancing against were already very good and been dancing since they were children. 
and so they they would be going into competitions all being made and I'm start and I'm really when I say to you I started at the beginning in competitions I started at the beginning right down at the sort of novice and beginner stage forward side together back side together but I was you know I was I was sort of quite good and I had an aptitude for it and 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 so I did quite well quite quickly but I'm already dancing against people in the sort of what we would call the open competitions the bigger competitions who have been dancing since they were five were marvellous they were marvellous at nine <laughs> do you know irrit- <laughs> irritating so now I'm I'm sort of in my now I've become obsessional because now I'm playing catch up and I and I come from this stock don't forget that have moved from their own countries to a new country of which they didn't speak the language and escaped through the dead of night in order to have a better life so I'm I'm of that stock so I'm determined and 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 also i didn't like anyone because they were sort of good and a bit smug and i hated that because i wanted to be good and smug and i wasn't yet but i was going to be so i was i was and of course they weren't they were perfectly nice it was just in my head but it was sort of drives you forward you know and i i I just wanted to be I wanted a, I wanted a seat at the top table, really. Can you remember know. the first competition you won? You, oh, I won. I remember the first competition I got second in. Oh. Now, it was a competition down in a place called Greys in Essex. Mm. And I'd be dancing in sort of low grades, and, and I'd be doing all right. And then suddenly, out of the blue, we're in this competition. I didn't expect very much, and we, were, we got second. And it was like, do you know what it was like? It was like opening the doors at the back of the wardrobe into Narnia. I felt like I'd arrived because I'd had success. I'd literally gone from nowhere, as I felt, to second. And I went, right, this is brilliant. And I was so... Did you see it as a personal triumph? Obviously, you were with a partner. Did you feel you shared it together? Yes, we did it together, yeah. But I was... You know, I, but it was about you, as far in your in head, it was about head, you. Well, it was about us, really. But um, yeah, it was it was a huge thing for me because you come from a you know we 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 lived in a council house. I've got parents who've got two jobs. You know, I'm in a comprehensive school. I've you know, the, 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 there's there's sort of no privilege there or luxury but uh, you know you you have what you have and you know what you know you know so we were happy it was and also fine. on the dance floor there's glamour there is this glamour there, 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 there's lovely clothes yeah. but then but you what i've suddenly got was a success that i'd never had mm. before although it was second in a sort of small competition somewhere in grays and essex but in the context of my life and what i'm trying to achieve this is a massive step i haven't gone from fifth to fourth i've gone from sixth to second yeah now I feel like I can win. I'm closer to first than I am to last. Oh, this is magic. And did it work? Did you begin yes. to win? Yes. You began yeah, to win? I, I can, then I started to do a lot better. Huge change. And what's ultimately the best thing you ever won? Because some of them eluded you, didn't they? Some of Yeah, them. I never won a world championship. I never won the world championship. I remember I, we, we won a competition as Erin and I. Because it's like you win, but it's got the most terrible name, you know. It might have well have been the world championship because of who was in this competition. Now, I use football as an analogy, and I apologise, but if you win 
the European Cup, people go, oh, tremendous. Or the World Cup, everyone goes, magnificent. If you win the Leyland Daff Trophy, that used to be a thing they used to play for once upon a time, but the same teams who are in the European Cup happen to be playing in the Leyland Daff Trophy this particular season. It doesn't feel quite the same, does it? <laughs> well, I, I, I won one of those once. It's a terrible named competition. I, we, won this competition once. Uh, and we beat the leading couples in the world at the time. But two weeks later, we did the, 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 the World Championships and the same, and we didn't win. We came down a field somewhere, third or fourth. Or but two weeks before, we, we'd won this competition, which was sort of the equivalent in company, you know, with the people, the participants who took part. And it was it was the biggest sort of success I had. But if I, you know, I barely can remember the name of the thing. Can you remember the first time you lost your temper? Oh, no, because it happened on a pretty regular basis. Oh, really? Oh, I was furious all the time. As I'm, a dancer. I'm surprised because yeah. you seem like a genial, mild-mannered person. Well, I now. am now, but back in the day. But I was always, as I said before, I was always up. You know, I had this thing where I was always up against it. I was always feeling I, I needed to bear in mind that my life, once I started dancing, was consumed by it. That was all there was. I did everything, every, other things, but really, I was only interested in one thing in life, and that was dancing and being better and trying to win. And because, as I said in an interview recently, that was the point of it. So um, winning was, people started to talk about taking part, etc. As Nick Fowler once said in an interview, I remember a number of years ago, which I thought was really interesting. He said, if you wanted to change your life, you had to win. Now, for me, if I was going to invest my life in being a dancer, then the point was to win, wasn't it? But the point wasn't to be good. By definition, I was going to be good because otherwise I wouldn't win. The point was to win. This is a comp competitive arena, by the way. This isn't the Royal Ballet where I'm becoming sort of a, a performance artist. This is a competitive arena. The point is to win. And the problem is when you say that out loud, it, 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 it's a bit sort of startling, really, to some people. But it's sort of obvious. Now you said the irony, of course, of that is that you are now nationally famous <laughs> by not dancing, not winning. <laughs> by not winning. You're sitting behind a desk. In actual fact, I've been given an award not to dance. In fact, is that the big award you've had? <laughs> I had the, the, my biggest award in life was one for not dancing, <laughs> the National Television Award, which I, I have to tell you, I'm so, I'm so thrilled by. It means more to me than anything else that I've won. I have in competitions because. It, it's firstly it's voted for by the the, the viewers and the yeah. wonderful public and I and I and I'm eternally grateful to everybody for voting for me for that. But the irony is, is I got that for sitting and talking and not for dancing. Isn't that funny? When when was the first time that Strictly Come Dancing came into your life? When was the first moment you heard about it? A phone well, call, a letter. So think about it's difficult to think of life with before Strictly Come Dancing, but the world of television came into the ballroom dance world said we're going to make this tv show called at the time it's gonna be called pro celebrity come dancing with brucey at the helm so does anybody want to be involved and, and mostly the business went oh no let's not get involved in that because we've just come through the whole come dancing thing and all that and we're trying to you know align ourselves with sort of olympic disciplines and because we're competitive we thought there might be a chance we get in the olympics as a demonstration sport and that was the road the ballroom dancing world was going down and then they said these immortal words. And I remember it so clearly. They said, well, we're going to make it anyway. So either you, you're involved as an industry or you're not. 
we'll use musical theatre dancers. And I, for one, went, oh no, let's not do that. I'd rather be involved in. So if you're going to do ballroom dancing on television, let's do it properly. So I wanted to be involved, and a number of people wanted to be involved, and we had to do a screen test. Uh, I was lucky in regards, it came to me when I was about in my mid-30s. So I'd been around a bit, and I was very experienced. I was already very established. I was already at a high level. I've been teaching a long time. I've been competing a long time. So it didn't make me go a bit mad. You know, I didn't suddenly lose my mind. Anyway, we did this, we did a screen test and they said, we'd, you know, we'd like you to be on the show. And there were only eight. There were four boys and four girls. Oh, do we get And eight celebrities. And who was your first celebrity partner? The, the most incredible, Leslie Garrett. Oh, She gosh. was, and I was, and do you know what that was? I had two things that were hugely fortunate for me. One, that Karen Smith was the executive producer of Strictly Come Dancing. Wonderful lady of television. And I was given Leslie Garrett as a partner. She was a blessing for me because she was brilliant, had a great personality, and we just went together like a hand in glove. We were a great partnership. I owe everything to her, really. What was the first time you set eyes on your now wife? Where were you? I was at the Wentworth Golf Club at a do we'd play golf during the day and there was a do in the evening it was a big charity evening and i there was a big round table and a chap on the, my left hand side came with my now wife uh, who was sat opposite and i'd already seen her and thought gosh she's attractive and uh, and and i saw that she looked at me and she she probably recognized me and anyway so he says <laughs> vainly but wasn't really making eye contact with me and I thought that's probably normal because she's married to this chap next to me and he goes oh no she's not my wife oh, oh apologies I said you're your your other half he said oh no she's, we're not together she's just a friend I just needed a plus one and she, she uh, I asked if she'd like to come and I went so you're not together he went no and in my head I went brilliant let the games commence. And I thought, right, would you like to change places with your lovely friend so I can chat with her? And, and I couldn't find a nice way of saying that to him. So I thought, well, I'll have to see if I can catch her eye and sort of give her a nod. I'm not sure what I was trying to do. And she got up and was about to leave the dining room. And I thought, right, is my moment. Without having thought this through, I followed her out of the dining room just a few paces behind her, and followed her all the way to the only place she could be going, the ladies, and watched her enter the ladies' cloakroom. And, and it became clear to me that I hadn't given this enough thought, and I thought, well, the gents are there, I'll just nip in. So I nipped into the gents, and I came out. And then suddenly at this moment, where I'm stood outside the ladies' toilets going, oh, I've, what have I done? She might have gone back now. Oh, but she might still be in there. Well, she, hmm, should I go back? And then a lady passed, and I thought, maybe I'll ask her if she could just check if there's a, a blonde lady in the toilet that I don't know the name of and have never met. Could she check she was still in there? And I was going to ask this lady this question when she came out of the lady's toilet and stopped. And this other lady was stood there as well. And we had this weird triangle of people. And then 
Hannah, my wife, looked at me and went, have you been waiting for me outside the toilets? And I went, yes. And she went, weirdo. And then walked off. And this other woman sort of looked at me in a peculiar fashion and then went into the ladies. And I went, this has gone really badly. And sort of went, oh, no, sorry. I didn't, no, I haven't been, not, anyway. So I had to try and follow her in. And I got to the edge of the ballroom and I sort of managed to catch her up to say, no, I, anyway, and she did. And I could see her smiling. And so I thought, oh. From, from that memorable night, how long did it take you to pop the question and find yourselves married and having children? Well, we have been inseparable ever since that oh. night, in actual fact. Fantastic. It was brilliant. And then we got married. So that, the night we met was the 20th of April and 2012. And we got married on the 20th of April, 2017. Five years Five later. years to the day. To the day. My wife and I did that. I felt some we, sort we of romantic symmetry. We were married five years to the day after our first encounter. Isn't it lovely? It's good. And we had children. When did you have the children? Three weeks before that. Oh. On the 28th of March. Good. Oh, no, so you didn't legitimise them. They're still bastards. <laughs> Absolutely. Sometimes Never mind. Worse well, than we can overlook that now. But it was... Um, what, can you remember the moment that you first saw your twins? Can you remember the moment they emerged, first seeing them, how you felt? Well, I tell you, the first time I, I, what I felt was when, the, when the, um, the dots came up on the screen. And he goes, there. That's one heartbeat. And I went, gosh. And then he went, and there's a second heartbeat. And I went, bloody hell. Well done. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything to say. And it always makes me feel emotional. And she, she, she's so funny, my wife. She goes, darling, she said, do you need to go to the golf club? And I went, yes. Do you mind? She went, no, you go. And I, and, I, and I always sort of find myself in moments like that and I just wander off back to Wentworth, actually, where we met. It's such a special place to us. And I'll have a run of golf, invariably on my own, and straighten everything out and then come home. And then we were in the, in the, op in the operating room. We were in the, um, the, uh, having the babies. Having, uh, we, she's having the babies because she's having twins. It's, it's like you're doing the dancing. You felt you did all the work. Your wife having the baby, you really done all the work. Well, I'd done all the work. Yes. I have to be honest with you. It was a minute and a half. You've known along how hard that was. My job. But I remember being in the room and 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 and, and we're chatting away, literally chatting away, and, and there's all everyone's going off and doing their bit, and then suddenly they handed me this baby, newly born baby, literally handed it to me, mm. and I put it in my church in my my I had the the stuff on the scrubs and stuck it in my thing like this. I've got this brand new baby, oh. extraordinary, just astonishing, really, and and everybody then they, they sort of cleared off to carry on doing what they were doing. And I went, I think, we, I think I need a grown-up to come and help me with this. <laughs> don't leave it with me. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but it was, I have to tell you, it is the most extraordinary thing. Hannah is, like all girls, women, remarkable, brilliant, extraordinary, astonishing, fantastic. And they are, they are the greatest. If it was left to us, fellas, it'd be a disaster, wouldn't it?
Well, I will have to agree with you on that. Oh, you're in a good place now. You're riding high. You have your novels are successful. You have these lovely twins. You have mm. a beautiful wife. Mm. What is your first lesson that you want to share with everyone? Your last word and your first word. What you have learnt from life? Oh gosh. Well, it depends, really. I mean, I've got a couple of things. My mum, you always used to say to me, was she always used to say, "Work hard." That was it. Just work hard. And and I don't think I don't think you can go far wrong with that. My my old teacher, my oldest dancer, she sadly passed away, and I'm I'm sad about that because he would have loved this whole strictly thing and loved seeing me on it. I think as well. He always used to say, "Get better." That's all there is, really. Just get better. Work hard and get better. That's all, and that's all there is, really. I mean, you just you have to. You have because you can only control yourself. Look at the world that we live in. You can only control yourself, and you being a a, a former man of politics, can I say that? Mm-hmm. Well, know that better than most. It's not very glamorous or exciting, really, but that's it, really, well, for me. Yeah, I think you're glamorous, you're exciting. Thank you for working hard and for getting better. You're the best, actually. Well done. Anton Dubeck. You are the best. Thank you. It's time to dip into the Rosebud mailbag. Thank you so much for getting in touch. It's much appreciated. We've heard from Annalisa Fla. I hope I pronounced that name correctly. She comes from Norway. She writes, As a very British Norwegian, I just love your podcast. My mother, now 93, was born in England, grew up in Scotland, moved to work on a yacht in sunny Spain, married my dad from rainy Bergen in Norway, and they ended up raising their family in Norway. My nana lived in Edinburgh, so every holiday was spent there. My earliest memories are from those holidays, summer afternoons with tennis from Wimbledon on the television. Now, every time I hear a tennis ball being hit, the memory jumps back. Tennis, tea, nana hushing us so she could concentrate. Your podcast has got me onto doing a recorded interview with my mother, just to keep all those amazing memories. Thank you for a blast of a podcast. That's nice, a blast of a podcast. Thank you for that, Annalisa. Interestingly, my son, Bennett, uh, before my mother died, he did some video recordings of her talking about her childhood in India. And I'm so glad he did, because otherwise these memories get completely lost. Thanks so much for being in touch, Annalisa. We do love hearing from our listeners overseas. It's amazing to think that Rosebud now is being listened to literally all over the world. So keep in touch wherever you are. Sharing these memories is a great way for all of us to keep them alive. That was Rosebud. I'm Giles Brandreth. Until the next time, we gather around our first memories. Thanks for listening. Rosebud is produced by Harriet Jane, artwork by Freya Betts, and music by Phil Leppard. 